AI, a rapidly evolving field that has the potential to transform every aspect of our lives, from the way we work and communicate to the way we think about and solve problems. Join me as I chat with the founders, builders, and innovators in the industry about the latest advancements in AI and how they're changing the way we live, work, and interact with technology. My name is Kevin Rosenquist. Welcome to Zero Shot. My guest today is Scott Stevenson, co-founder and CEO of Spellbook, the AI co-pilot for lawyers. Scott, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. So Spellbook helps lawyers draft and review legal documents using AI trained on 42 terabytes of text from GPT-4, <laughs> other LLMs, the internet, contracts, books, Wikipedia. Obviously, a significant aspect of AI that has people uncomfortable is the fear of misinformation or, as some say, hallucinations coming from products like ChatGPT. How accurate has the output from Spellbook been thus far? Um, I would say quite accurate. Um, and yeah, that is the question that all of our customers ask who are, I don't who are doubt lawyer, lawyers as well. <laughs> it's the first question that every, every lawyer cares about. Um, so we've had to work pretty hard to make our system as accurate as possible. It's not perfect. Um, yeah, it has the same uh, faults as you know a lot of large language model um, uh, based products. Um, but yeah, we've worked really hard to tune it for uh, legal use cases and um, yeah, we have some interesting announcements coming soon about, you know, um, other legal research libraries that we're kind of building into it so that, you know, we're not just re uh, recalling data from training, but also able to access um, legal facts in real time. Oh, nice. That's that's huge. Yeah. And and do you find that, you know, I'm sure you've played around plenty with ChatGPT or BART or any of that stuff. Do you Do you find that the fact that you have included more data like the books and and other contracts does that help in the accuracy of the outputs um it does that kind of training helps to an extent um uh although gpt4 is really good um, it is good it's, it's it is pretty, very, it's very pretty good. powerful yeah and we use some of the anthropic models as well which are pretty good out of the box as well um what we find uh, really matters when we tune. We have spe different spells in Spellbook that help lawyers with different tasks. What really matters is the, the pipeline of um, kind of processing and prompts uh, that we execute um, to get to that end, end result. Um, that's what really impacts quality the most a lot of the time, because a lot of the time we're dealing with really long documents that can't fit into a single context window, at least, uh, yeah, e even with uh, 32K, uh, GPT 432K, you can't fit everything in that context window. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot comes down to how do you take these really long documents um, and process them and find the relevant information in them um, in such a way that you end up with an accurate result at the end. So there's a lot more than just um, kind of the training and, and fine tuning aspects, um, the kind of orchestration of everything and the chaining of um, prompts is something we have to iterate on a ton. Yeah, I would imagine, especially for the, yeah. how technical these documents get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like writing legal documents would be a tedious job that most legal professionals dread. I feel like if I were in that field, that would be my least favorite thing to do. Is that, I imagine that's where this, this inspiration comes from. What has the response been like so far from people who've used it? Uh, yeah, uh, the response has been incredible um, since we launched it. So we launched Spellbook September 1st of last year. Um, this was before the chat GPT uh, craze. And um, 
it was just an immediate hit with our customers. So we'd been selling legal automation software to lawyers for quite a while. Um, and understanding, you know, the pains that lawyers have that you're talking about, like, yeah, reviewing a 100 page legal document is really hard. Um, there's no a reason why it's so expensive uh, to get lawyers to do something like that, because <laughs> you're staring at 100 pages in, in Word. Um, where do you start? Are you are you going to like print it off and like get a coffee and like read all 100 pages and make sure there's no mistakes or, or aggressive terms or hidden language in there that's um, going to impact your client? It's really, really hard. Um, Sounds so awful. Work, yeah, it's awful. Um, so we've been working with lawyers on these problems for a while. And uh, we helped them with kind of template-based automation and other types of automation for a while. But And it, it helped them a little bit. Um, but uh, then when, when large language models um, became uh, really good um, around the time of GPT-3, uh, we just saw an opportunity to, to give lawyers something that would um, allow them to... Uh, yeah, review uh, free form documents in a really bespoke way um, that suited their needs exactly rather than trying to force them to use templates or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just an immediate hit as soon as we launched it. What was the, uh, what was the product like before the large language models came before GPT came? Yeah, so um, we focus on more traditional workflow and document automation. So um, we have a template system where, say, you want to draft a new contract, you can say a bunch of parameters. Maybe you need like an employment agreement. And so you'd give like the name of the employee, the salary, the type of role. And then based on these really complex templates, you know, we would pull all, all the language together and help you, you know, build, build a, uh, say, an employment agreement. That's one of the things that we did. Um, and our customers still use that product today, and, it, and it's very powerful. We would still always get the feedback that like, oh, this is really cool, but you know, my work is too bespoke. You know, that might work for some other lawyer, but my work is really just bespoke. And I I draft you know the perfect clauses that fit my client's exact needs, and templates don't really help with that. Um, so we would always encounter that kind of template uh, problem. Um, so yeah, that that was where our product really focused. And then you know, if you temp if you templatize legal documents. You're able to extract data from them. You're you're able to like do things with that structured data, um, so that was part of our approach to automated review as well. If you use templates to draft legal documents, you know you can automatically extract all that data from those documents as well. Um, but then large language models all of a sudden meant that you can understand fully a legal contract without it having been templated. Um, mm -hmm. with like variables and parameters. Um, so that, that really changed our approach a lot. At what point did you realize AI was going to pop and that you were going to be able to use this in such a humongous way for your company? Yeah, for us, it was Git, GitHub Copilot um, was when, when, when we really saw the opportunity. Um, I come from an engineering, software engineering background. And uh, yeah, I tried Copilot pretty, pretty early on. And um, at first, I was super skeptical about it. And like, yeah, I think this is still like one of the greatest, you know, modern AI products that's ever been built. Um, in my opinion, like it, it's metrics are incredible. Um, it's so useful. Um, but when I first tried it, I was really skeptical. Um, and I was like, okay, what, like, how is this thing going to help me? And um, it started spitting out code as I was typing. And I was like, this code looks terrible. Like, why is it so long and complicated? And uh, yeah, like the first or second time I used it, it put it spit out this huge chunk of code and I, I like deleted it. I was like, oh, that's garbage. 
And then 10 minutes later, I realized that GitHub Copilot was like anticipating a prob two problems that I didn't see like 10 minutes in advance, 10 minutes earlier than I was. And that's why the code was so weird and complicated because um, I didn't see this this kind of problem coming. And that was the first time I really felt outsmarted by AI. Um, I was like, holy cow, this thing is actually programmed better than me in this instance and is thinking 10 minutes ahead of me. Um, and we really saw the parallels um, between like coding and software development and sure. uh, uh, drafting contracts. Yeah, they're very similar. You know, it's lo it's logical work. It's writing with text. Um, there are, uh, you know, a bug can be a, a terrible problem in both the contract and in the software. Uh, so they're both things that have to be kind of exactly right. Um, so yeah, with that experience of using GitHub Copilot really inspired us to um, build something similar for our customers. You make a point on your website to say that you're not providing legal advice and that everything needs to be reviewed <laughs> by a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, it's a platform to help lawyers streamline their process. Do you do you need to uh, to prove or to, do uh, do you need to prove that you're a legal professional in order to use Spellbook? You do, you do. Okay, yeah, we only sell to legal professionals um, today, and um, yeah, we yeah. There's the whole unauthorized practice of law thing, so this it's like a sure. re regulatory gray zone uh, right now. Although I'm sure you can go to ChatGPT and ask for legal advice, and they're operating in that gray zone right now. Although they try to filter the output, so you can't ask anything, I guess, uh, too le legally. I asked um, it to help me rob a bank one time so I could be rich, <laughs> and it wouldn't do it. So it wouldn't does do have it, yeah. certain things that it won't do. <laughs> some, some restrictions, yeah. Some restrictions, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we, uh, we sell to, to lawyers and, and, and paralegals, um, yeah. And they, they, that's really our approach is to build something that augments professionals and that, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like an electric bike for lawyers. Like it, it helps them do what they're already doing. And that's always been, and that's what I love about GitHub Copilot. GitHub Copilot, you don't feel like it's taking anything away from you or it's taking you out of the driver's seat. Um, mm. You're just doing what you always, di always did and it helps you out. And um, that's our approach with lawyers. And I think that's diff what's different about us from any competitor is that, you know, we, let them just do what they've always done. Um, but now they're doing it faster. They're getting, you know, insights on the side of their screen as they're working. Um, but they don't really have to dramatically um, kind of change their approach. And I still think that that approach to AI development, which GitHub Copilot did and what we're doing is still really underrated. Everyone's moved towards sort of these chat-based interfaces, which are obviously really cool and really helpful. Um, but it's it's a, it's a big shift in thinking of okay now I'm delegating things to this AI agent it feels kind of weird you kind of feel like you're uh, taking yourself out of the driver's seat a little bit absolutely um, so yeah I think I think more tools should explore this route of what if there's no chat interface or agent and the person is actually just doing their job and the AI is kind of coming in and being the wind at their back as they they do what they love um, so being I'm a co-pilot or an assistant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do, I do content creation and management. And when it first came around, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and I was like, Hmm, this isn't great <laughs> for me, yeah. you know? <laughs> but then once I started really diving into it, I realized exactly what you just said. You can still be in the driver's seat. You just, yeah. you just have this assistant that takes so much of the busy work and the, and sort of the, the BS for lack of a better term and, and, and takes care of it for you, which is it's like, yeah, it's like having an assistant sitting next to you, helping you out. It's pretty cool in that respect. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is com- is compliance a concern for you guys, or is it, or is the fact that you state that it's not legal advice, you know, is that is that enough to keep you liability free? Yeah, that's something we've thought a lot about. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, we only sell to legal professionals. Um, we say that it's not legal advice, um, and we do have filters around what you can ask our tool to do. So if you you know, um, ask it too directly to give you legal advice. It, it won't. Um, it'll inform you about a contract. It'll inform you about common risks. It will um, do lots of things, but it, but it it still won't be a lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, yeah. I think the fact that we only sell the legal professionals is um, def- definitely um, helps a lot in that regard. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned your background is in engineering. What what led you into the legal world? Yeah, so um, there was actually three of us who, who started the company, and um, I came from a software engineering background and an entre- entrepreneurship background. I had started the company before, um, and yeah, when I started that previous company, I uh, I was fresh out of uh, college, very very naive, uh, not much money. No, uh, I met I, I managed to <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I managed to ra- raise a small angel. Uh, check um, to start start a company right out of college. It was twenty thousand dollars, which at the time I was like, "Holy cow! Yeah, we're like we're rich. Like this is gonna fund the company of my dreams. <laughs> Never gonna need and, any more uh, money. We're we're set." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then a couple months later, uh, over half of that was actually spent on legal fees. Um, and I was like, "Holy cow! Like uh, this is so expensive just to do some of the most basic um, stuff." We had some intellect. Not only did we set up a company, but we had some like intellectual property things we had to deal with and. Yeah, I was like, wow, it's it's really expensive to start a company, and I was like, this means that not many people can actually like afford to start a legitimate company. Um, so I I came from the angle of um, wanting to solve that problem of like, how do we make legal services more accessible, um, more efficient, um, so that more people can start companies. Um, you know, it's faster to hire employees, and like you know, legal transactions just underlie everything that we do, every sale, um, every you know, real estate purchase. Um, and slow legal transactions, you know, just add this friction to everything in our economy. So mm-hmm. I was really motivated to solve that problem. It was two co- I have two co-founders, uh, Daniel and Matt. Um, Daniel was a lawyer, so he experienced all this frustration from the lawyer's side of going to, through law school, um, racking up law school debt, and then you're practicing. There's really no way out. It's like you, you have to practice. You have all that debt, and you have to pay it off. Um, and then, um, you know... You, you face the reality of that job, which is, um, you're, you know, uh, editing, uh, documents in word for hours and hours at a time, doing the most monotonous, like copying and pasting that you have like 10 word documents on your screen, you're copying and pasting between them. It's brutal. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he was faced with the frustration with, with the reality and he didn't feel good about, you know, what he was billing those clients for, um, you know, for, this kind of like very, this this drudgery. Um, and then Matt, my co-founder, uh, came from a design background. So Dan was a domain expert. I was an engineer. And then um, Matt, Matt was a, also an engineer, but also a designer. And um, yeah, so Matt had also run a small educational uh, toy company. They had a successful Kickstarter and things like that. And he'd also faced a lot of those kind of legal pains. So um, yeah, we uh, we joined forces to... It's a good fit. Yeah, see, see what we could do um, to make, make legal services more efficient. 
AI is obviously taking the world by storm, which we all know, and there are very few industries that aren't in some way affected by its surge. How, how do you see the legal profession being changed further as AI advances? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Obviously, we have to ask ourselves that a lot. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's the same in the legal industry as in everywhere else. Like, we're just like surprised at the advancements every week and month, pretty, pretty much. Um, I think, you know, no one, including OpenAI, re really knows, you know, what the end state of this technology is going to be. Um, but I do think that um, lawyers are going to be around for a long time. And that's as a technical <laughs> person, I was, when we started the company, we were very naive about, I, I think I was very naive about, you know, the, the true value of lawyers and um, like, like what, why are legal services so expensive? Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, for a while I thought, well, we're just, we'll just build software and, and the software will be the lawyer. There won't be any more lawyers. I was very idealistic when we started the company. This was over four years ago. And uh, very early on, we started, we actually worked out of a law office of our, of our first customers. And then we learned that it was like hitting a wall learning just like the complexity of um, these deals and, and documents, you know, this stuff, it's really nuanced. And even if you could have an AI, you know, negotiate a deal for you, you still wouldn't as a non-lawyer really understand the implications of anything. And so that trust factor of like, yeah, human actually read this and, and was able to explain it to me and, you know, told me that I'm doing things the right way, um, I think matters a lot to people. And I think we're a long ways from kind of in allowing AI to, to really take take that fully over. Um, so I think lawyers will be around for quite a long time. I think like that human trust factor and connection is like super important because yeah. it's like, you look at these legal documents, you can't, you, like, um, if you're not a trained lawyer, you just, you'll never understand it all. Um, oh, so no. you really it's have gibberish. to trust someone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's so, like actually reading your mortgage, you know, like that's, yeah, yeah who does that? Yeah. Who, who does, yeah, you just like, just give yeah. me the gist of it, man. I, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, that, and you know, that, um, lawyers, I think play a really important role and, um, and then yeah, you get into like financing track transactions and, and more complex deals. And it just, you know, there's so much bespoke language in there. There, there ends up have reality is complex and there ends up having to be a lot of detail, um, mm -hmm. in these agreements that someone has to figure out. And, um, yeah, I don't think we're at a point where machines are just going to negotiate with other machines and we're going to be like fully trusting of that. Um, so yeah, I think lawyers will be around a long time. I think, yeah, they will become, uh, like I think some of our customers, um, when doing like contracting work are working around four times as fast sometimes. So like, I think lawyers will become like 10, 10 times more efficient in many cases. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing because one, one of the stats about legal services is like there's a latent demand of like 70% of the market is untapped. Like 70% of people and small businesses actually can't afford legal services at all. Um, so uh, as the price of legal services goes down, I think you'll just see a massive part of this market suddenly being able to purchase those services and law firms actually being able to service that demand. That's a really good point. I mean, I have a small yeah. business and, and, and the contract part of it is, it's less like, you know, it's like, okay, what do I really need to pay a lawyer for? Because yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's really expensive. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everyone at, or small businesses have that fear of like picking up the phone and. Oh yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. Am I um, being charged so for this? We'll, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So I think we'll see that you know that fear go away and, and more the market be able to access um, professionals. Um, I think that's a, that's a really good thing. I mean that's that's how the economy works. That's how markets work. Um, you know, ser- services uh, become more accessible over time, and, and that's right. a good thing. Do you do you feel AI is moving too fast? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, uh, yeah, I'm definitely following like a lot of the conversations uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. Sure, uh, that's, that, it's everywhere. You, it's everywhere. It's hard <laughs> <Yeah>. to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think um, my experience as an engineer is that like. Uh, most systems just like don't work at all and just and just break and fall down on themselves and like when you see like how many engineers it takes to just keep twitter operating at all um like it's it's a surprising amount mm-hmm. and um it's easy to imagine kind of like this ideal uh, idealistic version of ai just kind of taking off and and becoming you know really powerful and being really good at everything um i think it's going to take us quite a while to get there just it's taken us forever just just to get ai to do an okay job at um helping lawyers and um uh i don't think there's like a huge risk of this suddenly ai is really good at everything um Mm -hmm. so you're not you're not on board with some of the doomsday people no yeah i i would say um uh, I, th- I think it's important to be cautious um about the technology and like i think open ai's stance is um good um, generally, and like I, th- I think um, they're they're aware of a lot of the risks, and like yeah, the the right amount of time to sp- the, the right amount of resources to spend worrying about it is not zero. Um, some some mm. some amount should be spent on it, but um, I really I don't believe in like the the foom uh, argument. Are you familiar with that? Um, AI foom is the idea that you know, just one day AI will exponentially start self-improving and make a foom ah. sound it'd just be like foom and then okay yeah, I, exponential... I did not heard it called the foom one i like that though <laughs> yeah you'll have this it's like the noise the graph makes when it just like shoots off oh, the gotcha. intelligence okay. graph <laughs> i don't know that's how i imagine it um I like it. and uh you know that there's just suddenly going to be this exponential explosion and then you know within seconds or minutes all of a sudden we have this ai adversary that's uh we can't stop and I don't, I don't, the fat, that kind of fast take off. I, I, I'm not too worried about that personally. Yeah. yeah. Do you think we'll ever achieve AGI? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's a, everyone has different definitions. Um, yeah, it's very true. I, it's a very yeah. hard thing to define. So yeah. yeah. I, I think like in my, in my opinion, like we would have called what ChatGPT is now like AGI. Like a lot of people would have called what ChatGPT is now AGI. Like that's a good point. Ten, ten years ago, um, five years ago maybe. I don't, yeah, yeah, five years ago point. maybe. Yeah, I think I think yeah, maybe, and maybe we are a little bit like a, a frog in in boiling water kind of c- scenario where like that yeah, like we, we, prob- we probably yeah, it doesn't sound good put it that way. Like I, I think we we might have called this AGI not that long ago. Um, yeah, I, I think some people associate AGI with like con- consciousness and, um, I think that's like a completely different, uh, to- totally different, like philosophical discussion. I, I don't think these systems are conscious at all. 
um, or at risk of any in any way at risk of it. Um, which, but it's also uh, something that how you define consciousness too, because I was listening to yes. a Lex Friedman podcast recently and I, I, I can't remember the guest he had on, but they were talking about that very thing about when yeah. you consider something to be conscious. And <laughs> they were talking about how people have different definitions of what is consciousness. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's very yeah. philosophical at that point. It, it does. It does. Yeah. But, but I think, I think like, yeah, more, more companies and like people who are working in these systems should um, like read, read the philosophy and like, acquaint themselves with it and and like it yes. seems like that that is happening you know a lot and like the definition i like is like uh is like a, a classic philosophical definition it's like something is conscious if there is something it is like to be it um so like um i don't think there's something that it's like to be a rock um gen generally um i don't think there's something that it's like to be chat gpt right i see um, what you're saying yeah but that's my <laughs> that's the definition i like what do you think? I, I, I don't know. I honestly, if, I, I don't know. No one ever asks me my opinion, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got to believe that we're going to get, I mean, just with how rapidly this, this all is happening, you got to believe eventually we're going to get to a point where things are, you know, I mean, as far as the, you know, passing the Turing test or something like that, I feel like we got to, we got to get to that point. But if you pass the Turing test, is that consciousness? I don't know about that. I'd probably not. Okay. I'm a little more skeptical. I'm a little more on your side about that. I'm pretty skeptical of what, of, of, of what you can define as, as conscious. Yeah. Do, cool. What can you do as a founder and CEO of a company that is making AI a focal point to ensure it's developed responsibly, safely? Yeah. Um, you know, for us, a lot of it has to do with what, what I was talking about earlier, kind of being a co-pilot and an assistant and not taking the driver's seat away. Right. I think that's the most important thing that we do is um, keeping like keeping the professionals in the driver's seat and making sure there's a human in the loop. Um, I think like these systems are very safe as long as there's a human in the loop. But if you let these systems kind of go off on their own, that that's when uh, without a human in the loop, that's when um, there's there's not really much of a safety net. Um, so that's the main thing that I think we, we do is build a mm -hmm. tool that keeps the the humans in the driver's seat. Um, so like the system can't do anything without the human. Um, the humans reviewing everything that, that comes through our system. So um, I think I like that approach. Building a team is one of the most challenging aspects of founding any startup. How do you ensure that the people you bring on fit the company culture and help drive the business in the right direction? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest parts of... Uh, growing any business and um uh yeah i mean it's a it's a really hard question like i don't think there's any um great pattern um, is there characteristics that you look for or is it just kind of a gut thing depending uh, on the person yeah 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 I just mean, what, um, how do you bring the right person yeah. in i mean it's a hard it's a hard such a hard thing especially with something like ai that's so you know mm -hmm. i don't know still kind of new in most people's minds yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few, few things we look for, um, and yeah, you, you definitely see like the the mindset of building these AI tools is very different from you know other software, in my opinion, um, because all of a sudden you, you you're chaining like non-deterministic components together. Software is meant traditionally has been you know you're trying to get it to be as deterministic as possible. You know, you run the program multiple times, it does the same thing. Um, when you introduce these large language models and start chaining them together, you introduce this huge amount of non-determinism and um uh 
you know, it's um, it, it, and it can be really hard to be like fully scientific about how you optimize them because the space that they operate in is just so huge. And mm. um, uh, yeah, um, Daniel Gross and Nat Friedman have this thing called AIGrant.org, and they have this um, uh, slogan that's like tinkering, not training. And like a lot of what you do now with these models is very much like tinkering. Um, and like, it's that tinkering that you can spend hours and hours and hours on to get something feeling right. And, um, you know, that's not so much how a lot of software was developed. So yeah, we definitely try to, um, you know, bring on people who can adopt kind of like a beginner's mind attitude. I don't know if you know that term or Shoshin, um, which is like, yeah, being able to um, look at things from first principles, not getting too um, uh, tied to, um, you know, the, the best practices of like how things were, were done historically, um, not getting uh, too caught up in like um, old patterns of behavior and, and really just kind of being like, okay, like no one has built this tool before. No one knows how to do this. There are no experts. Um, in how to build this exact tool that we're building. Um, you know, we were the first company to launch a large language model-based tool for lawyers. Um, mm -hmm. So there's know, no, there's no handbook for it, is what you're there's saying. There's no handbook, yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, bringing in people who are comfortable with that amb ambiguity, sometimes we call it chaos tolerance, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like that. <laughs> who are comfortable kind of fo forging a path um, ra rather than just walking on one that's been... Uh, trodden on before and that's you know that's that's one of the things that's um really really tough um, but yeah we have, we have an awesome team um, that's a really good point or, though that that you, yeah. you have to be willing to to kind of you're not going on a path that is going to feel mm -hmm. comfortable or normal you know because mm -hmm. of how quickly things are changing and how different it is from standard practice for an engineer yeah, yeah exactly and like like the SaaS industry's uh you know been going on for for between a decade or, or t and two decades. Yeah, sure. And um, yeah, I mean, like the number of kind of ways of doing things and like best practices that have kind of cemented around that um, is uh, huge. Like, um, and uh, yeah, now, now a lot of that is kind of changing. You know, it's, it's a whole new way of thinking about software and, and user experiences. Um, it's it's a huge change in how to think about building um, products. So uh, yeah, you got to be pretty flexible to adapt yeah. to it. Certainly seems that way. Yeah. Final question: If if someone told you they were founding a startup and asked you for the most important piece of wisdom that you have, what would it be? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> you're like just one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, there's there's a there's a blog post I, I wrote a while back, um, and it's called um, it's called how to finally make something, and that that's the thing that I send I send that person um, who's going on that journey, especially if they're going on it uh, for the first time. And um, yeah, the post is kind of about my journey about like I call it I was like a creative yearner, like my whole life, you know, you're a creative person, so you might get this as well. Like my whole life, I wanted to make stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make games, I wanted to make music. Um, and, uh, I really, I really struggled. Like I'd be on the internet, I'd be on like web forums when I, when I was younger, you know, in like the two thousands and, um, 
you know, I'd be on like these game, these forums where people were making games and um, there'd be like one person on the forum who's like actually making a game and like everyone else is debating like tools and techniques and like what's the right way to do it. And like, I noticed like 99% of people that want to make stuff just don't, they don't manage to like fully get there. And then there's like 1% of people often who, who are like able to kind of make that leap into, um, you know, really um, pursuing like a, a creative vision. And um, so I, I wrote this blog post about like what, what held me back and like how, how I finally overcame it and, you know, was able to start this company and another company and, and, and really start building things. And um, I think it depends on your personality. But for, for me, I was like a very conscientious person. And I, I said, there, there's like four, four things that I would do instead of making stuff. And um, those things are uh, like one is learning. I would spend too much time reading, watching tutorials, like just like looking up best practices. I was into like music productions. Like I would read about, oh, here's like the right way to like use your EQ and here's the right way to do this. Here's the right way to do that. I spent way too much time like learning all that stuff instead learning of learning the theory anything. and yeah. stuff about it. Yeah, totally. I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. And like it happens in startups I still do that. Too. I have a lot yeah. of books up there that I've never read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got those too. Um, and happens in startups too. You know, people read the lean startup and then they're like, you know, they're like looking at the lean startup book and like making sure they're doing exactly what, you know, running lean says. Um, and uh, people get caught up in like the, these meth methods that they learn um, and processes. So that's like the other thing is like you get too focused on like the method and the process and like, oh, am I like doing the right process? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what were the other ones? Um, yeah, cl like cleaning up. Like I would spend so much time like order organizing my desktop or like organizing my notes. Um, you see it now with like these tools like Notion and stuff. How much time people spend like organizing their thoughts and notes. Um, and anyway, like the whole the whole thing was like I would spend so much time doing structured tasks that were like satisfying and gave me dopamine with no risk. So like reading a book, there's no risk. You're gonna have this like hit of dopamine as you progress through that book and as you finish it. Um, you know, if you're following like some 10 step method or tutorial or process, you're going to get this dopamine rush from doing it. And there's very little risk. Um, if you're, you know, cleaning up your, your house or, or your home, um, there's a dopamine, a guaranteed dopamine rush from that. And, um, I find like, for me, I was just able to fill my entire life with all these like satisfying structured tasks and the scary task of actually diving in and doing something like creative and just like totally ambiguous where there's actually risk and I actually don't know what I'm doing was just like really hard thing um, to, to start doing. And um, I just re I noticed that pattern at some point and I was like, wow, I, I've got to stop doing like, I got to stop like cleaning up so much. And like, like the time has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And I'm doing this endless amount of like maintenance and, and like errands and like, all this stuff. And I, I was like, I just got to stop doing that stuff so much. And I have to start like budgeting my time and be like, okay, this is like the time where I just make new stuff and, um, and dive into that discomfort. And I think like, it's really uncomfortable, um, at first to dive into that ambiguity of, of really making something new and, and forgetting about processes and methods and just kind of digging your teeth into it, but you get used to it over time. And uh, what got me, me used to it was um, there's this thing called the RPM challenge. I, I don't know if you've heard of like NaNoWriMo. It's like uh, mm, National yeah. Novel Writing Month. Um, there's this thing called the RPM challenge, which is re record production month. And um, 
yeah, it's like a challenge to record an album of music in a month. And like, that was where I, I, I learned like how to start a creative product project and like actually finish it and to get through like that anxiety of like project start to finish, um, you know, an ambiguous creative project after doing that a couple of times that that's when I was like able to actually like, um, start building software and like, um, start a company and, and things like that. So that's really good advice. I, I, yeah. I really mean that I, I, I'm definitely guilty of that myself. Just like, okay, what tools should I, especially now with all the AI tools, I'm like, all right, what can I do to streamline my process? But I spend so much time hunting down tools and learning how to use them. I'm doing anything but streamlining them in my process, you know? And I, and also like, like, yeah, it's totally tempting. And I, I've, I like, I like to write. And I remember the first time I finally finished a screenplay, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had so many half written screenplays because it was just so daunting to try to actually complete it. But when you do, you're like, I talk about a dopamine hit. That was pretty awesome. When you finally do yeah, it, I'm sure yeah. the same thing. Yeah, when you finally do it, album. it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're oh, it's not so intimidating. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely, yeah. Uh, though, that's a that's a huge piece of advice. I think any anybody in any any arena could could benefit from that. For sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Glad glad you think it's uh, useful. Yeah, I'll, I'll write um, you a check for the advice. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I think, I think, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Cause like, um, you know, in startups, there's kind of like, there's the startup circuit and the startup circuit is where like, everyone's going through the motions of starting a startup and like, and they're like reading down through like the 10, Oh, like here's the 10 steps to start a startup, you know, according to the lean startup or whatever. Yeah. And like, I'm going to do this pitch competition I'm going to do this and that. And then it's like, um, you can see people kind of going through the motions of the thing. Um, but they're not like fully diving into the ambiguity of being like, oh shit, like what do I actually have to do today to actually move this thing forward? And, to actually and create actually, this company actually, and this product and everything yeah, else. Yeah. Yeah. And like beyond the pitch competitions and all those mm-hmm. other things. So, um, I think it's okay to start with the training wheels of, you know, the process and the checklist, but eventually you just gotta, you gotta dive in and just be like, well, what we did when we started the company was, yeah, every morning we'd wake up and we'd just like call, call each other and be like, okay, like what is like the most important thing? common sense thing we should do today um to advance the company and like that that was it like that was it we didn't need anything else other than that yeah that's great that's a, that's a good 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 to have partners in that respect yeah to help keep everybody on task yeah 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 if you're interested in learning more head to spellbook.legal scott thanks for being here i really appreciate it thanks for having me kevin have a good one And thanks to everyone watching and listening. Until next time, stay curious, stay creative.